Um, back in, I believe it was about March, I was praying about getting away for the summer, and I had talked with my aunt up in Michigan and um, was just praying about going somewhere because I've grown up, met her in Painesville and Willoughby my whole life, and I, you know, I go to college here, so I wanted to go somewhere, low, somewhere away for the summer and get away. And so I was talking with my aunt. She was having a baby up in Michigan, and I wanted to go and work at the YMCA up there and help her with her baby and her two kids, and was praying about that for the summer. And um, then I guess I got my phone out to call the YMCA administrator up there, and as soon as I took my phone out, no joke, I took it out, and I had a text from Pastor Tim. And he was saying that he had an internship opportunity for me in, uh, in Boise, Idaho, and it was like, okay, well, I'm about to call the YMCA administrator. I'm not spec um, skeptical, but this is, you know, the timing of this. So I, you know, heard Pastor Tim out, and we talked about it for a couple weeks, and I decided that that's what I wanted to do for the summer. And so he put me in contact with the pastor out there at Fellowship Baptist um, in Nampa, Idaho. They're about 30 minutes west of Boise, um, and we did phone conferences March, April, May, and March and April, and um, that's really when I was talking with him about going out, talking about the details, and it just, the Lord worked it out so that I flew out there on May 5th, and I was there for three months, and I, you know, I had a completely different life out there. The location was different. People were different, um, but they were the same. I'll get into that. But the location, um, told you that the church was about 240 people. Uh, they had about 15 teens and about 10 of them were able to regularly make it for, um, for Sunday school. They had about 25 kids, and uh, I was able to teach Sunday school to the teens. I was able to teach junior church for the month of June, and Tuesday night, they do their Tuesday nights, they do their midweek service on Tuesday night because it's a hunting area, that's what I was told, and so they want to have four days for the weekend to go hunting so they can get back for Sunday, so that was... <laughs> the reason that they had it on Tuesday. Um, but I was able to teach um, that. And I'll get into more of what I teached in my sermon. I um, put it in there, too. But I also had the chance to preach twice. Um, I preached once on Titus 2 and then once on 1 Timothy 2, which is what I'm going to share tonight. Um, and, and following the Titus uh, sermon, the focus was on Titus 2, on the order of the church and how the younger are to learn from the older um, and so we had a Titus 2 meal, which was, I know we do a lot, and that's where I got the idea from. And also the teens were very big on going to camp, much of like Penile. Um, so we wanted to raise money for the teens to be able to go. So this was also a donation period for the seniors um, to give to teens who wanted to go to camp. So we put on a, um, a dinner for them and had them to the church and got to know them, uh, much of like what is done here. And then a, a week or two after that, we had a babysitting night, so we had all the teens to the church, and uh, we had all the kids come, and we babysat them for four hours and gave the parents a date night, and we were able to do games and snacks, and we made a bunch of kites, and I put together, I think, like 15 kites that night, and they broke them within like 10 minutes. I was so mad. <laughs> and so, uh, but we had a good night. We ended it with a movie, and, and so that also helped raise money for them to go to camp. Uh, then there was a VBS that, we, uh, that I helped with this summer. There was one lady who was a young married. She really took it upon herself and administered 
the whole thing. We did the answers in Genesis. For those that helped here, that was the Time Lab one this year. So we were able to, um, I was able to help with that. I did, did the opening and closing ceremonies and then taught a Bible lesson in between, and we just did it from uh, 9 to 12.30. Uh, so it was only half the day, unlike the one here. But I was able to get experience with that, with, with being in front of kids in that situation and, and helping administer and really seeing what goes beyond uh, behind the scenes of VBS. And it's a lot of work, and I, I respect the people here that do it um, because of that. And then there was just times that I had eating meals with families. I got to see how God worked in, in people's lives there, and I got to see, um, I hear a lot of salvation testimonies here, just kind of the ways that God works. One of the funny testimonies I heard that I wanted to share was the lady I was staying with, she lived with her mom. They were both older, and um, I would talk with, her, with the mom a lot, and she was maybe 90. Um, and she would tell me a story on how she was working at um, a Catholic school, and I, and I mean this story out of respect, but it's really funny. She was, she was teaching at a Catholic school, and she was a Christian at the time, and she just said, I'm just going to sit on a bench, and I'm going to allow this time for people to start coming up to me and talking to me, students, and I'll pray with them, and I'll tell them about Christ, because she was allowed to in that situation. So she would sit on the bench every day during her lunch and free time, and kids would come up and talk to her, and she said she led a kid to the Lord. And then pretty soon she had the nuns coming in and talking to her, and they're sitting on the bench with her. And she led three nuns to the Lord, and the next year they had to shut down the Catholic school because they didn't have any nuns left. So it was, <laughs> I mean, just to see how God is working there is, is uh, pretty amazing. It's a funny story. Um, so that was a, that was a, I heard that at the beginning in May when I got there, and every time I saw her, I just laughed because it was like, that's just, that's hilarious. And so uh, I had a lot of opportunities to eat meals with people in the family. I was, uh, ate some good food out there. And then uh, the end of the internship, uh, the last week I was able, so we were raising money for teens to go to camp, and uh, the last week I drove the teens up over to Wyoming uh, for a teen camp over there, and I, I counseled that week as well, and took about nine of them with me. And all the teens and the juniors were able to get a full scholarship, and raise, so they raised enough money so everyone could go to free, go for free, and it was like two hundred dollars a person. Um, so that was a huge blessing, and I know they're very passionate about going to camp, and so for them, and, and that was really encouraging to see. And uh, you know, we prayed about it, and just saw how God worked in that. Um, and, and counseling that week was a great time. That's what I did, uh, very similar to what I did in Nova Scotia the last two years. And I was happy that I got to do that because I was missing out on Nova Scotia this year, which I had done. And so that was a big blessing to get to do that. And so I think back on the summer, I'm still processing it. I mean, I was, in, I imagine moving to a new state for three months and doing something completely different. Uh, it was a different life, but also it was just serving the Lord there as I serve him here. And so I got to know the people. I got to have the um, similarities that we all have in Christ. And, and, you know, you can really build a relationship so much faster, and the world won't understand it when you're with people in Christ. And so that was a um, really great time this summer. You know, people say the best summer ever. Still thinking about that, but it was, I mean, it was a great time just serving. And so with that, I wanted to uh, share with you quickly from... 
1 Timothy chapter 2, and I had this opportunity to um, share this sermon my last week before the camp there, so I got back from the camp and flew away, Um, but this is what I shared with them before that. And uh, so I opened this sermon with an illustration, and these two men are fishing on a boat, and they're good friends, and they're in the ocean, and a big wave comes and knocks the boat knocks one of the friends off the boat, and one man goes and tries to find him overboard, throws out the life-preserving ring, and he can't find him. And so he solicits a, near, a nearby fishing boat, and this fishing boat is consumed with their fishing to where they're not paying attention to this man. And then once he finally gets their attention, they demand that he pay money to help them find his friend. And, and you think about this illustration, a simple story, but then by the time they get to help this man, they pull up, they're able to pull up the body because they have more men and more resources, so they find him and pull him up, and he's already drowned, and, you know, a minute too late, and you think about this, and how this fishing boat was consumed with what they were doing, and pursuing financial gain, and pursuing to catch one more fish before they were able to think about somebody who was drowning, and so when we look at First Timothy, I want to ask the question to me personally, and then to you, what am I doing in the community to save people or to, to, to help point people to Christ who are drowning and to help um, share Christ with people who, who are dying? And, and am I consumed in my way of life that, that I am not even, first of all, praying for these people? So 1 Timothy chapter 2 Um, starts off with this. In verse 1 it says, First of all then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. And to give this sermon outline, uh, to give this uh, chapter perspective, I wanted to look back at chapter 1. And I know because of time and and there's so much in chapter 1, I can't really do it justice, but I just wanted to look quickly at it and point out some aspects from chapter 1. And so I gave uh, this outline three words. In chapter 1, we have our foundation. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, um, we have our priority. And then chapter, or, and then chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we have our intentions. And so we look back at chapter 1. And the foundation of the church and the, our foundation in chapter 1 is seen in verse 5, and it's seen in verse... 11, and it's seen in verse 14, and that's the goal of verse 5, chapter 1. It says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then over to verse 11, it says, according to the glorious gospel to the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And then verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. So the foundation in chapter 1 that this is talking about is that Christ saves sinners. And that Christ's death and burial and resurrection and his power over sin now has the capability to save sinners. And that's the foundation of the church, right? Christ started his church on the day of Pentecost, and as a result, those who were saved were added to the church. And so the foundation of our church is that Christ saves. And so then Paul goes in the rest of the chapter, verses 5 to 20, and he's telling about um, with the Jewish law, how he thought that if he obeyed it and did good works, that he could get, uh, that he could work his way to heaven. And he said he was even a former blasphemer and persecutor of the church, and he did it in ignorant unbelief. But by God's grace and exceeding with faith and love, 
God saved Paul. And so the foundation of this church, when we realize that, that ought to provoke our intentions or our priority in chapter 2. So we look at the foundation, um, and then we see the priority now in chapter 2. So Jesus physically starts his church, and now he grows his church, um, but it starts with our priority. So why is, so look at the first thing mentioned, which is prayer. So why is the first thing mentioned in this prayer? Like he could have mentioned in the rest of the chapter, he has the role of women, the qualification of overseers, the dealing with false teachers and roles and responsibilities in chapter 5, relationship towards sinning members and widows and slaves and handling of money in chapter 6. But before any of this, before he gets to any of this, he starts in chapter 2 with the order of the church, and that's to pray for all men. And that's to pray for all men to, be, to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Look at the words he uses in chapter one or chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Now, these words are four synonyms, and they can be categorized into one word, prayer. But this prayer, when we think about it in its foundation, is the love of Christ. And so when our prayer for them comes, it stems with intimacy. It stems with falling to our knees for these men because we have an intimate love for them, because we desire for them to be saved. Um, we, we are pleading with God for these men, all men, to be saved. When I was teaching in Idaho, I taught every Tuesday night um, Fellowship Kids Club, and I, the Matt Albright back in the day down there was 2008, so I would have been in it when he was teaching it, and I ended up using his curriculum, and I, and I asked him for it at the beginning, and he said I could use it, and then I changed up the theme and added some slides, but I used that as um, the curriculum, and this was the gospel presentation, and you'd go through the gospel, and it would be an acronym. And the last letter of that was L, and it was for love. And that was the most important thing that I stressed to these kids, was that the love of Christ is the reason, and is the foundation, is the, and is our, is our motivation for our prayer for the lost. And then I was able to... Um, I was able to share with the teens on evangelism as well. That's what I preached on. Sunday school, and um, I taught them many um, doctrinal things of evangelism in the Bible and, and who God is and how that relates, and then the life of Christ, and then um, practical ways on how to evangelize. And we looked at, in part, First um, Corinthians, and the mystery of God is foolishness to men. So we ought to be praying that the Spirit convicts their hearts because they're not going to receive it. It's got to be a supernatural thing that allows them to be open to the gospel. So we ought to be praying in this way that the Holy Spirit convicts them and then being ready to share the gospel with them. But the basis of that is prayer. And, and I, I had a testimony to share on this. Um, and I think, um, well, I'll just go ahead and share it. When I, when I was growing up, um, grew up in sixth grade, we moved to Willoughby, and I had a buddy, Danny, that I met in seventh grade and I didn't really know him in seventh grade, got to know him, played basketball with him and baseball. And all throughout high school, middle school and high school, I had been best friends with him. We'd walk over to the YMCA after school and play basketball. And I, I always thought that if I was just good around him, that he would want to know about Christ. And if I always thought that if I just 
went to school, didn't swear, didn't do these bad things that other people are doing, that he would get saved. And, and that was foolishness on my part. And it took me until really the last two years to really start praying for him in an intimate way. This, this prayer for all men, these entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving to really fall on my knees intimately for Danny. And when I started doing that two years back, it took a while to just have an opportunity to share the gospel with Danny. But I came to the point where I was finding myself on my knees at night pleading for God to just give me opportunities to share Christ with him. And thinking back to the illustration of on the boat, if I'm on a boat with Danny and I'm just living my life with him thinking that being a good person will point him to Christ, he's going to fall off that boat one day and I'm not going to be able to find him because we're all going to die, right? And so what am I doing now to point Danny to Christ? I can, I can show who Christ is, but I've got to pray that the Lord opens opportunities for us, for me, to share Christ with him. So after this, after praying with this, the Lord eventually opened up opportunities for me to share Christ with Danny this summer. And I was able to have a phone call with him. And uh, I was able to tell him that I loved him and I wanted to share this with him because it's the truth and because he needed to hear this. And so I shared the gospel with Danny pretty explicitly for about 30 minutes and answered a lot of questions he had about the gospel. And uh, after this conversation, he didn't accept Christ, but but he said he would read the Gospel of John. And I remember just after this conversation, this was in Idaho, I just, I sat there and just thought, and I just prayed to God. And I just said, God, save Danny. And the next thing I did after that was I called my parents, and I called Pastor Tim, and I told them, I said, pray for Danny. It's this prayer, this intimacy of prayer that Paul is calling for for the church in verse uh, one of chapter two, and make this prayer on behalf of all men, for kings and for all in authority, right? People that we have in authority in our lives. This is an also pray for their um, salvation as well. And this brings me to my last point. Um, I have more on this sermon, and I had to shrink it down because I knew we'd be short on time. But getting into the intentions of the church, right? So we have the foundation, which is the love of Christ that saves people. And then we have our priority, and that priority is to pray for people to be saved as well and pray for all men in this case. And then we have our intentions. What are our intentions behind this prayer? Right, because we can pray and just, just to pray, but there's got to be some intention behind it. So this is what Paul goes into um, with verses 4 through 8. And, he's, um, and we will pick up in verse 3. He said, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So we look at verses 3 through 6, right? And so what are our intentions with anything that we do? What are our intentions? Well, it's to bring God the glory, right? It's to be good and acceptable in the sight of God's eyes. In verse um, 3, it says this, referring to the prayer for all men, is good and acceptable in God's eyes. So when we pray in this way, when our intentions and our desires are aligned in this way, it is acceptable to God. 
Um, good, in this case, is an adjective, meaning it's not good in itself, it's good by the intentions, just um, adding to that point. And when we look at verses 4, 5, and 6, all this is doing is this is just Paul explaining that we should pray for all men because God desires all men to be saved. There is one mediator, Christ, and he died for all men. And because of this, God's desire is for all men to be saved, and so that should be ours as well. And then he goes into verse 8, and he says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So there's a, there's a way that we're supposed to pray. There's an um, intention that we're supposed to pray with, and this is lifting up holy hands, not in wrath or doubt. Right? Holy, holy, in this case, is a lifestyle undefined by sin, meaning that one, has, one should be in fellowship with God when they're going to him with this prayer. Um, thinking of James 4.8, this ties directly into it, so we have time here. Go to James 4.8 with me. So James 4.8 is in reference to people who are not in fellowship with Christ and people who um, are... Go- this is written um, to tell people what to do if they're not in fellowship with Christ. So we look at verse 8, and it says, um, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right. So talking to unconfessed sinners... Before we go to prayer, right, if you're walking in sin, it says draw near to God and pursue, draw near um, in verse 8. This is pursue an intimate love relationship with God. Uh, this is the concept of the Levitical priest who would draw near to God on behalf of the Israelites. So now we have this opportunity to do this ourselves because of Christ, our mediator, we can go to God. And then it's Cleanse your hands. This is confess any known sin in your life. The concept of the priest would have the ceremonial hand washing before, uh, before the sacrifices to God. And then purify your hearts. This is the internal motives, our inner thoughts and desires that we ought to bring before God and confess to Him. And then when we do these things, we can be holy before God. Our state and our mind of matter are... Our state of mind matters to God, right? It says, do it without wrath or dissension. So this is just reiterating that we should not be angry in our, in our hearts. We should pray um, to, to seek to not be bitter, but be at peace before God. Pastor Tim always says, as he's going through Romans, he says there's no um, room for hate in a Christian's walk. And this, and this applies to our lives as we approach God and in prayer, that there should be no hate towards, un- towards unbelievers and believers um, when we go before God. Why? Because we are praying for all men to be saved. So why, can we, why should we hate them? We can't hate them. And there should be no dissension. There should be no contention or debate with others um, when we go to prayer with God before this manner. I think of, you know, I fall into this trap too of, of just arguing with people about what's right and what's wrong with unbelievers and what they're doing or what they're trying to accomplish with things that they do, with primarily people on television or who have these positions of authority or, or role model. And we look at them and we can disagree with them. But ultimately, this should not be, come into a, a point where it's affecting our heart towards them for the gospel, 
And so we ought to not have that um, dissension even in our hearts toward them. And so when we do this, we go to God on His standards and not on our standards, right? We're going to Him to be good and acceptable towards Him. And we ought to do this in a holy way by lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. So in conclusion, we need to recognize our foundation and our priority and our attentions, right? The foundation that we have been saved through Christ and that as a result of this, we ought to be praying for our people to now be saved in Christ as well. So that should be our number one priority um, for the church and for us as individuals. And then we should be doing this in a way that is acceptable to God with holy hands, with with no wrath or dissension, and with um, the desire and the intention to be good and acceptable to God. So thinking on this, I want, to, I want to live in this way and I want to really pray that God provides me with more opportunities to share Christ with others and me with more opportunities to just sit down and pray for all men and just be of sober spirit and be watchful for these men because ultimately they're going to they're gonna fall off that boat one day. And, and it's a sobering reality and it's something that I want to serve the Lord in by doing these things. And I hope that you all want to as well. And I know um, just from talking with many of you that you, that you are praying in this way and, and seeking opportunities to share Christ with others. Um, so let's close uh, with a word of prayer. God, I thank you for this night, Lord, and I thank you for the blessings of testimonies that we heard from Houston. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity you gave me in Idaho this summer and for the supportive church family that was, uh, Lord, following along with me and calling me and uh, wishing me well, the love that they uh, had for me in prayers. God, I just thank you for your word. Uh, Father, thank you that you have saved us through Christ. If we have believed in Christ and had faith in him and turned from our sin, Lord, that, that we are redeemed and a child of you. And Father, I thank you that uh, you give us this command to pray for all people and that, that you give us a mission and a goal and we get to serve you in this way. Lord, I just pray that, that we desire to do this every day and that we renew our minds in this reality that we should be praying for these uh, for all men and that we should be seeking opportunities to show and tell you. God, I just pray that you continue to grow this church uh, numerically and spiritually, Lord, but numerically through the salvation of souls. And Father, just pray that we do it in a biblical way and continue to seek what's right and continue to seek what is honoring to you. I thank you for this time to share from your word. Thank you for the people in this congregation. Lord, I just thank you for this night. In Christ's name I pray, amen.